Yeah. So um, whatever you want to provide me as far as uh, like, yeah, give me 15 seconds. Cause I'm all right. computer. Okay. I got a, I got a wide shot here. Oh, okay. I didn't realize there was blocking involved. It's, it's Hollywood. You're listening to the music manual podcast for May 13th, 2018. Learn more at musicmanuel.com. Hi, and welcome to another Music Manument. I am Tom, and on today's show, I am talking to musician Westy Reflector. Now, he used to go by The Reflectors. Was it possible? Yes. I almost thought maybe The Reflector, um, but no, Reflectors. <laughs> but you know, we talk about how the transition from uh, uh, the band, and I'm doing air quotes here because it turns out it wasn't a band. It was just him. And then he ended up using his actual name. Uh, he is uh, working out in California right now, went there from New York. We talk about the back and forth and uh, just uh, a great conversation about how he discovered Creative Commons music in general. So here's my interview with Westy Reflector starting right now. So you said you're out in uh, California right now. Where, whereabouts exactly? Uh, I'm ensconced in a uh, 1930 cottage. Um, oh. built in the thirties, uh, up in Laurel Canyon, Laurel wife, Canyon, uh, <laughs> like yeah, the commercial. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that or not, where it would echo and they'd go Laurel Canyon, Canyon, Canyon. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> little pop culture reference for you. <laughs> I'll have to, I'll have to look that one up. I'm, I'm well versed in commercials. I worked a lot in advertising through the years. So, oh, cool. I, I didn't, um, that one sort of never made it through my consciousness. But it may have been radio. No. Okay. All right. And it wasn't Wisconsin specific. I don't think so. I don't know. Well, that's a good question now that you say that. Oh, and it may have been Corbett Canyon. Never Corbett mind. Canyon. That is that I remember. Yes. The, uh, the, that, that fine wine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that fine 70s California wine selling that, that old, you know, California dream, which does still it exist. It still exists. I was just going to say, I know it's there. So, but anyway, uh, yeah. I've, I've, di- I've distracted from the cottage that you're talking about. So let's, oh, let's get yeah. back to that. Um, I'm, I'm out here for six months. I had the good fortune of being suspended from my Brooklyn life, uh, from January until June this year. Uh, my wife, Kat, Kat Thomas, that's her name. Uh, she is a costume designer for film and television. Oh, cool. So she had the opportunity to uh, do a job out here, and we jumped at the chance to skip uh, New York winter. Yeah, no kidding. And, uh, you know, we were like, all right, sign us up. So uh, we, she was working at Universal Studios, um, so we sort of looked at the map, and we've been out here a lot through the years with what she does. Um, she's very successful. She is the star of the house. I, I've had a front row seat to an amazing adventure with her. Um, but, uh, you know, we sort of looked at the map and we were like, well, where, where could cat take, where could we live where cat wouldn't have to take a freeway to work? Oh, right. (laughs) Laurel Canyon all of a sudden was this, you know, it just popped up and we were like, wow, she could just go right off the, right over the hill and get to, uh, you know, and get to work without taking a freeway. And I get to sit in a cottage and, uh, you know, write music and sort of live a little bit of the myth that uh, that does still echo through this canyon. It is it is amazing. Like, it's an amazing spot. It's a very special place within Los Angeles. I I'm one of those New Yorkers who loves Los Angeles. Okay. <laughs> uh, always have. And um, 
which is not really the norm. There's more Los Angelinos, more Angelinos that love New York than New Yorkers that love Los Angeles. Right. But if, if, yeah, if, if nighttime talk show hosts have anything, uh, <laughs> you know, any say in it, that's always seems to be the thing is like how the difference between the ones that actually moved to LA and they're just like, Oh, you're in LA doing your yeah. talk show. Yeah. Yeah. I, and well, you know, this conversation may go, you know, kind of laterally and, and that's quite all right. I'm all right with that. <laughs> we'll eventually answer all of the questions. I just, you know, I have a, I have that condition where, you know, I have to take a couple of left turns before the answer actually, uh, materializes. Right. but, um, but yeah, no, there's, uh, well just to finish up the, um, so yeah, so we're out here for six months. She's doing a, uh, a, an adaptation of a podcast as a matter of fact, what? Amazon. Uh, it's called Homecoming. Oh, she's working on that? Oh, nice. She's, uh, she's a costume designer, so she does all the, the costumes. Which is a strange thing to say for a podcast, but uh, yeah. Well, they're adapting it for television. For, right. I'd heard about that, and they yeah. did it for Lore just recently, too. But I actually listened to the whole um, Homecoming podcast. Actually, we listened to it on the way back. Me and my wife listened to it on the way back from Nashville. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. No, it was good. I thought the ending was me but uh right. <laughs> but i'm hey, interested to see what is, they do with the show um yeah it, i i love the um it, it's such a, a a a and here we are taking another lateral left turn here but um it, it, truthfully it's what i do too if anything we're probably just inhibiting each other <laughs> <laughs> or enabling. Or enabling. I said. The, I realized I just said the wrong word. It, it, okay. Well, I don't know. Some psychologists would probably say that that was the perfect slip. Because or perhaps that is what we're doing. Or um, I'm just an idiot. Like I also thought that the word detrimental meant good uh, for many years of my life. <laughs> you know what? Language is fluid. Yeah. Exactly. What, what are you gonna do? You know, <laughs> words mean something different. Every day you wake up, a new word means something else. So mm -hmm. I, or it means what it originally did, and you just didn't know the original version. But you know, well, that's that too. You know, yeah. context, not content, is king. <laughs> you know, that's the end of the day. But uh, you know, anyway. the whole, whole thing was was interesting podcast because it was, um, you know, sort of harkened back to all those '40s radio shows where you were sort of dropped into a bunch of conversations and you were left to figure out the. Um, the story from piecing together conversations and who these people are and, and, you know, no spoilers cause I don't want any of your no. listeners who haven't heard it to, to know what it's about or, or, uh, you know, but from a technical and from a writing standpoint, I'm a writer and, that, and at the end of the day, that is what I am. Um, I loved it for its, uh, you know, in some ways it was, uh, it took some chances today where, you know, if you flash back 70 years, it's sort of what everything was on the radio it was a bunch of actors, you know, acting out scenes and you were trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah. Uh, somehow it feels fresh today. And, and it really was, and it was really, for me, it was really well done. And, um, you know, I'm very curious to see how they, uh, adapt it. My wife, um, costume designs a show called Mr. Robot. Oh, nice. Yeah. So she, um, the director and creator of Mr. Robot, Sam Esmail, uh, was offered the opportunity to direct this um, season of, of Homecoming out here. Oh, and cool. So he, he insisted on bringing his core creative crew. So it's uh, Kat, uh, my wife, costume designer, um, Todd, his, his cinematographer, and Stasha, his uh, production designer. So all three 
you know, of, of them were able to come out here. And so we're, we have this little suspension, you know, of our New York existence, um, for a good cause. And, uh, and it's, it, it you know, and, and as I said, like it's, it's, it, it's been cool. Cause I, I do love California. I've never, uh, lived out here enough to see, um, cycles you know like seasons sort of subtly changing because there are seasons out here and and you know and, and i've seen some rhythms of life and yeah things, you know and until seasons. you live long enough you don't always know whether you could you know live there you know so i've gotten to put on this it's not really a coat you don't put on a coat here you put on a poncho i've put on the poncho <laughs> of uh <laughs> of um laurel canyon and uh and sort of dove right in, become one of those creatures, you know, in the Jim Morrison song where he talks about the Canyon store, which is 10 uh. minutes walk down the hill. And I can, I, and, and I've taken advantage of that. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of echoes of it and it's wild to be 10 minutes from the sunset strip, mm-hmm. but I'm 650 feet above sea level. And I'm only, you know, a third the way up the Canyon, the Canyon goes up to a thousand feet. Um, and, uh, you know, above sea level and the, uh, to be this close to the city, but still have, I got a, a neighbor across the street has chickens and uh, I hear goats and there's been coyotes running around. I've been doing some field recording up here. So I've, I've put some, some recordings up of, of the birds and the chickens. Oh, is that what that was? Oh, did you, did you see that from, from yesterday? Or yeah. From, there's coyotes. That's all, that's all me with my little sure, you know, lightning microphone on my iPhone sitting on the, on the balcony here, um, you know, on, on, the, on the deck, yeah. just sort of overlooks the Canyon you can hear the distant traffic. Um, but it's, uh, again, like you sort of roll down the hill and all of a sudden you're in the middle of Hollywood. So it's this completely, uh, wonderful, um, you know, uh, sort of dimensional portal that you enter as mm-hmm. soon as you take left up. Kirkwood Drive and, and come up and you pass Glenn Fry's old house and you know where Jackson Brown wrote these days and, and all these things. And so yeah. mom ass lived in the basement of the of the store and you know they still value those things here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the and the values that that movement spawned are still very much alive here and you know. And it's not like they aren't in New York. I love New York City. I've, I've lived there for 25 years. So it's, and I've lived in New York longer than I've lived anywhere else in my life. I'll well, never be Nate. Are you staying there? Or is, or is this, I mean, you just said that this was a, a passing thing that you're doing there. You're only there for a certain period of time, right? Yes. Cat uh, has to go back in the fall and, and do the, uh, the next season of Mr. Robot. So we are. There is you know, going to be another season. Okay. Because the last season, I'm like, what? It's done? What, what the hell? It just stopped. So, and, 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 and I'm, I'm one degree removed from the costume designer and about 55 degrees from the writing room. So, right. I but I mean, that's just my opinion. I mean, all of a sudden I kept checking to see when the next episode was out and it's like, what? So, yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's not over and it's, uh, in some ways it's, it's only going to get more crazy. So, um, you know, which is cool. I, I, I love that show. I love that cat. Got oh involved. yeah. Um, so uh she's done she's had an amazing arc uh for all the way from, she did kill bill that was like so if you, if you oh that's cool like, you know her work if you've seen the the yellow tracksuit hmm. uh, and uh and gray gardens for hbo and a whole bunch of other of other stuff so but her work has given me you know a lot of access to 
insanely amazing creative people and you know i've sort of gotten to 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 pick brains and to mine all sorts of techniques and approaches toward life in a way that have it absolutely informed my my music and my songwriting and um because in the end you know it's it we all share a certain bond anybody if you make films or you or you write or you you paint or you know there's this there is a commonality of you know creativity and it's a very special thing um so you know and to maybe sort of tie it back to where we are in this you know um creative commons and and you know there's a reason why creative i think is in the creative commons name you know and and Mm -hmm. there's a certain creative commons itself harkens it sort of speaks to that that sense of what it really means to be an artist how, so, what were you doing before you and your wife met? Uh, it was in college. Okay. We've been together a while. Uh, Kat and I have been together for about 20, 20 25 years. And um, I uh, came down to New York. I entered college as a sort of a musician and with designs on actually being a doctor. So you my, went to uh, school specifically in New York from somewhere else? No. Well, I grew up in New Jersey. Okay. Uh, in an idyllic suburb uh called Morristown and about 40 miles west of the city and in in high school my friends and I used to you know take the take the six pack up the hill and we mm-hmm. would, six you know, pack yeah you know the you're talking to a midwest guy that's what are you, are you guys gonna do some driving afterwards with the hell six pack we were usually riding a bike but you know, all right, I mean, all right. but uh you know there was a hill about a quarter mile from from our my house and and uh it it was on the property of a of a of sort uh i don't want to call it an asylum called a graystone and it's actually where woody guthrie spent his final days it was just just some weird trivia okay but there was a hill there that where you could see the skyline in new york so we would you know we would be sort of kicking a beer back and be like i'm gonna live there Mm -hmm. you know we would hang out there and the city always had a draw um, loved the energy, um, didn't go to college there, but I always knew that I would end up back there. And so that was, uh, you know, and that was sort of my only goal, um, was to live in New York city and, Hmm. and I got there and, you know, and and I've been able to stay there. So I feel very lucky for that. Um, I do love New York. It's given me a tremendous amount of, uh, energy through the years, you know, when, when I, but that said, you know, I think you can find it anywhere. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's a cool place, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and you did like, or else it's paradoxical, you know. And, and L.A. is very paradoxical, too. So they're very, you know, and I think that's the paradoxes where people can sort of relate, you know. Because wherever you live, there's a paradox. I'm sure in Wisconsin, there's a, you look around and there's all sorts of paradoxes because the elements of it are amazing and cool and you can't believe that they coexist with stuff that's just so absurd. You know, mm-hmm. the absurd life pokes itself up everywhere, right? So Yeah. But yeah. And, and you didn't go to school specifically for music or I, uh, English. I was a writer. Okay. I mean I was a writer. I mean that was really what the uh uh you know I had some designs when I got into to college to actually be a doctor, but those sort of frittered away pretty quickly when my uh, my grades came back and history <laughs> and, and some of those things. And and I, I was always a good science and math student, but my um, you know 
once your passions get a hold of you and you start to, um, you know, realize that, you know, I mean, at 20, you know, at 18, you have a, almost an unlimited amount of energy, but you still right. have to be able to channel it. And if you don't feel like channeling your energy somewhere that you have to listen to the universe, the universe is telling you something. It's like, because if you don't want to channel yourself this way, you better be happy about not channeling yourself that way because this is going to be your mindset, you know, for a long, long time. So, mm -hmm. and I uh, sort of doubled down. I'd always been a good writer. And so then I, I you know, took a turn and, and, and graduated as uh, an English and history major and um, with a love for film. But I'd always played music. Music was always this, this extension of my love of writing and it's sort of where I always felt most comfortable as a writer. I don't know if that makes any sense, but like, um, sure. I, I, so when I introduce myself and, and people are like, Oh, what do you do? You know, it's oftentimes like I'm a musician and a, and a writer or I'm a writer <laughs> and a musician. It's a writer always, always comes into it. Okay. Um, and that's, uh, you know, I, I love the process of the cognitive process of writing and sort of coming up with with things in your head that are, you know, weightless and all of a sudden they're on paper and they have some weight, you know, and, and music has is is a is a wonderful extension of that. because um, music, you know, creates actually creates physical waves, you know. It's mm -hmm. not just a ream of paper on the table. All of a sudden you're creating waves that propagate almost forever into the universe. So don't Every mistake you make propagates forever into the universe if you hit a wrong note on the guitar, but right. Uh, but it's okay, like Eno, right, with the the oblique strategy and, and embrace thy mistake as 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 an intention, right? So mm -hmm. <laughs> that's sort of a you know that's a good philosophy. But yeah, so um, but I, I I found filmmaking in college, and and then I came out of school and and went to New York and was actually a location manager and location scout for about a decade in New York City. Um, that was what I did after college to support myself. And I was playing music all around New York when I got out. I was in a band and, and you know, sort of doing my own thing. Okay. I wrote, I wrote terrible songs for a long time. And I gave On purpose? Or like that was your, that was your shtick? It just, it just, you know, you don't know that they're terrible in the moment, you know, and then you end up giving them to people that you don't always get second chance with, you know, and, and so, you know, but every, everything is lightning in a bottle. Um, and uh, I had a lot of fun, you know, in the 90s in New York. The, mm -hmm. the film scene was amazing. There was just crazy independent uh, filmmaking there that... In New uh, York? Get out of here. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it just in, in terms of the the ability for you to work and support yourself um, and and then, you know, to and, and the city was a lot more accessible and 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 inexpensive at that point as well. So, mm. you know, give it that it was possible to live, you know, it, you could get your own apartment for 700 bucks a month in 1994. In, in wow. <laughs> You know, which seemed like a lot of money, but at the same time, you you know, you could still eat and and go out a few times and you know play music and and you know get. So it it, it was a it was a cool time to be there. It straddled a couple of ages, you know, and 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 it's sort of an overarching uh, point 
I guess, is that that's, I've always felt lucky that I was able to straddle a whole bunch of ages, you know, like, I don't know what I would do if I was 21 right now. It would be, be rough, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I, feel, I feel for, for people that, um, that are trying to find themselves, you know, I mean, I still haven't found myself in a certain way, but, but at least I was able to, to sort of grab the world a little bit in a way that the world didn't grab me first. Yeah, and I feel now you know, young people have it very difficult because the world just just grabs them by the throat before they even have a chance to breathe. You know, in a way, so it's mm. uh, it's rough. Well, um, and any here we are in our in our tangential. <laughs> no, that's all right. I was just going to say now during this point, the band that you were talking to uh, or that you were talking about was this the Reflectors or when did the Reflectors come into play and start releasing stuff? Well, the Reflectors was was just me. It was um, just you. Yeah, yeah. I uh yeah, I kicked around. I the my favorite band I was in in the 90s was this thing called Stickmen and it was um there were just a bunch of brilliant guys uh who just crashed into New York in a van and they were sort of friends of a really good friend of my wife Katz and and um so we met up and and then it turned out we had very similar musical sensibilities so I sort of hopped into the band a little bit and you know we played all sorts of clubs around new york back then continental brownies and you know fez underground and hmm. and you know, so i had this wonderful conduit into the the lower east side scene uh, you know indies new york rock and they, they a lot of smoke was blown their way you know like labels and all this stuff and you know we did a wonderful dirty cover southwesterns you know sweet jane and it, it was just all very fun. and uh casey wade who's a wonderful artist lives in arizona now he's a video editor uh amazing singer and to this day i still try to channel him as i as i sing because he taught me so much about singing in what anyway, sense well he had a real perfect uh a, he had this incredible ability to assess the dynamics of a song and when vocally yeah and when he needed to to come forward and when you know what words were important and he was one of those vocalists that was so in tune with the lyrics but without ignoring the music it's really really difficult i consider myself a songwriter singer okay like oh it's a singer songwriter like no i'm a songwriter singer Mm -hmm. um you know, I part of it is that I end up writing a lot of songs that are way bigger than than I can sing. I don't know if that's on purpose or not, but uh, you know, that's sort of been one of those themes. Well, um, and, and do you mean it like this? Like one of the biggest problems I have is I'll come up with a really cool idea for a song, and then later on I'm like, "Damn it, I have to throw some lyrics on this," and I don't kind of know where to go from that because I took all this effort in like putting together this really cool part. Right. And then, right. yeah. And then when you sing on it, it's like, that's going to ruin it. And then you battle over, like, so you start writing around the song instead of like a lot of people, they think it's like, oh, you know, there's this sheet and you just read off of it. No, you got to fit it into the song, especially if you write it first. So, right. Right. Um, well, what's your process? I mean, are you, uh, do you most often come to a song? through a, a melody line or is it like all of a sudden yeah. three notes come together and then you build us and then, and then the words come later. What, what's your, 
What's your process with that? There's what, a couple of them. The first, or is it? It it depends. Sometimes it'll be okay. You know, there are always those moments where you hear something. You're like, wait a minute, do that again. You know, somebody does something, or I do something. Like mainly, most of my stuff is uh, keyboard based. Uh, right. Not a piano writer, but it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, all the notes are laid out for me. I know where to go, so I can do that. And then I go, okay, now someone else play it, but right. um, and make it better. But so I'll do that, or I'll do it uh, going. I have this instrument in mind to do it, which I love doing that because then when you show it to them, they're like, well, that's not the way that this instrument is, and I'm like, that's entirely too bad for you. Um, right. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I'll do that, and uh, or I'll. I'll get a melody in my head or something like that and try and figure it out. And I'll just be doing it all by ear. As I'm doing that, sometimes I'll either like a melody will just pop in your head or one of the parts you're writing. It's like, Oh, that would be, that's a really, the the worst way to put it is that's a really boring part for an instrument, but it would be a great vocal line. And then I start writing around that. And I usually write to the sound of the notes for the words, if that makes sense. Like, is there, you, oh, go ahead. well, I was going to say like, you know how sometimes when you're singing and you're like, oh, I'm going to sing, here's this, the vocal idea. And you start going, boo, da, do, na, no, ba, ba, you know, or like that. And right. then you listen back to it. And then I try to interpret the noises that I make off the top of my head as lyrics sometimes, right. not all the time, but sometimes I've been known to do that. Um, right. I don't know. There's, there's many. I mean, I just, it just basically what it is is I start doing it on something and then I have to work my way from there. Um, yeah. It really can come from, I mean, I'm only naming you like two scenarios. And as I'm thinking that, I'm like, oh, but I've also done it this way. Other times yeah. I've actually written it from, um, uh, you know, lyrics first, even sometimes. I don't know. It's, yeah. I don't know. What yeah, it, it's a form of magic in that sense. A little you bit. Know, they know where the inspiration is going to come from. Um, you just have to be in tune with it. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, and again, I, you know, here I'm sitting in California, so I'm going to go out in space, but I, you know, Alan, <laughs> Alan Watts is sort of one of my demigods. And, oh, and, nice. Um, you know, he has this thing where, you know, he believed that human beings were sort of these vessels through which the universe perceives itself. So, you know, that doesn't, de that doesn't deny free will. It just means that, like you can actually set your mind and set your frequency and if and wherever it happens to be set the universe all of a sudden is going to be like oh maybe i need to tune into you mm -hmm. <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden the song happens right because mm. this universe is like oh yeah go there go go there go there you know so um but yeah it's uh it most of the time for me it starts with words but to your description of uh sort of um you know, fun syllables and just like, na, 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 na. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those, those for me can be words. Cause I'll, you know, there's yeah. certain themes and, uh, do you have themes in, in, in your lyrics or have you, have you found that you, you return to certain, you mean um, like metaphorically or are you saying like uh story-wise or even certain words or even just certain, is there some, some yeah. thread that you can trace through? Like when you set out to write a song, you know, you don't always have an intent necessarily. I mean, is it narrative? Is it uh... mostly narrative? And a lot of it, I've uh, up until maybe the last few years, it's all been kind of metaphorically. And I'm starting to try and be more 
honest about it rather than try to build up symbolism to mean something, which is the way I used to do it to hide what I'm actually trying to say and like um, go like, oh, let them figure out that's what that means. I don't know. Um, right. It, and another one thing that was kind of fun, an experiment we did, uh, an entire EP based on the movie The Deer Hunter, but not necessarily. Like we kind of we had the parts and we wrote the lyrics to kind of explain. Basically, it was a conversation me and the guitarist were having about the, he saw the movie Deer Hunter and I hadn't seen it in years, and he was all just excited about it. And he was explaining it to me, which was funny because I'm like, I know I've seen it, but continue. Um, right. <laughs> but he had this, he, he was just talking about like the roulette scene and all that kind of stuff. And mm. we, uh, wrote about that. But as we were doing it, we, we wrote about the conversation we had about, uh, the deer hunter. But as we did it too, it reminded me of, and I'm always going to get his name wrong. Uh, the guy, uh, John Kale, I believe he came to a club that me and the guitars worked at once. And he had just released an album where he talked about the whole thing was about how he thinks that the American interpretive, uh, the American interpretation of language is funny. So he liked to use words because of the way they sounded. And we took that one further in the conversation because otherwise it would have just been a back and forth like conversation. Right. Um, so we wrote 90% of, <laughs> of the, uh, the EP using a thesaurus. <laughs> because <laughs> we because we wanted it to so there's a lot more like even like looking for we you know like they there's got to be a better thing than they and then all of a sudden it would be like i don't know their their uh lyrics like threadbare and right. uh you know right. we started doing stuff like that and it was just kind of interesting here's the downfall <laughs> performing that live if you're not so when you were asking before about do i have a way of writing and stuff like that that's mm. how you remember stuff i still to this day have to have a freaking lyric sheet for half of those songs because they're not me they're not my lyrics they're they're my lyrics but they're uh i mean talk about it's like they've been encrypted so i right. can't remember them off the top of my head ever <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, but you know, at the same time, I mean, maybe they're just so reflective of that time and place and, you know, Dylan never sings the same thing twice, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, but that like, might be by design. <laughs> uh, you know, lightning in a way, like now, because you, you know what's, you knew what was going on in his head at the time he wrote the song mm -hmm. and now he uses to be a cover band for himself, right? So now he's going to yeah. use it. It's just going to be like, all right, well, this is what's in my head now. Like Kenny was, Rogers doing medleys. Everything's yeah, like yeah. just one big song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, so who's to say that the, you know, that the, that the lyric that somehow was imprinted on, you know, vinyl, you know, back in the day was actually the lyric that it should have been, you know, I mean, there's yeah. no, everything is so fluid now. And especially, um, you know, we're in it's such a time of flux. I mean, you know, so you should forgive yourself. Yeah, I do. It's well because you know, it's just me. Who the hell cares? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know, and, and again, you know, and, and you don't want to sound too smart if you're like talking through. Oh, I've no, I've, I'm not worried about that. <laughs> but I guess you know. That's, well, and to your to your point too, I remember there was a reality show that followed. It was on a couple of years ago. It followed Salt and Pepper around, and okay. they were gonna get together to perform once again. What a man. And mm. the lyrics to that were during a time when, like, one of them was uh, dating the guy from Naughty by Nature, I think it was. 
Okay. The other, basically, it was about men in their life that they don't care about anymore or that they don't want to talk about. So they changed the lyrics to the song. And also because like one of the lyrics was about like, I think it was like with a body like Arnold and they brought up the fact like nobody wants that anymore. Um, <laughs> so they changed the lyrics to it and, and they were just like, who cares? And one of them was worried that everybody was going to get upset that they did it. And the other one said, I'm not going to perform it if we do it that way. So there's also sometimes it does mean something to someone, but you change it because they mean something to you, I right. guess. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, I, and and yeah, exactly. And it's you know context is always changing, and yeah, you know, that's sort of the overarching battle right now in 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 almost every facet of our society is is about taking control of the context, you yeah. know, and the control. As we sort of started out saying, I mean, it was sort of flip, you know, where context, not content, is king. But mm -hmm. it, it really, you can, you know, change the meaning of a word just based on, you know, inflection or the color that's behind it or the, you know, the speaker. And so, you know, it's everything is so malleable. Um, I guess what I fear is, you know, not not the idiocracy. <laughs> that's sort of what everyone says, like, oh, where you know, everyone knows you know, no, no one knows anything but doesn't know the difference, so they're all blissful in, in, in that regard. But, you know, we're sort of in an inteleocracy, you know, now where, where everyone knows just enough to think that they know everything, right? So, like, mm -hmm. and I don't want to get cynical about it, and I don't want to take away from, you know, actual intelligence. I mean, there is, there is a, uh, a value in curiosity and in learning. And, yeah. You know, that's, you have to... I mean, that's part of what's being, you know, what being human is, is to to have a, a sense of curiosity about about where we are, and and then you know to develop, you know, a a perspective uh, that that is your own. I mean, mm -hmm. you are an individual person, and you know, with your own ideas. So I'd like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know with that new Google announcement with the AI taking over. Who knows what's going to happen. Well, Google's uh, greatest trick was to turn themselves into a verb. Man, I, I don't, I don't use it as a verb. I, I, I ask the duck for everything. But you know, <laughs> oh, you do the duck, duck, go. I do, oh, I do. Because okay. you can put an exclamation point with a G at the end of it, and it sends you to encrypted Google if you can't find what. You Is want. that how you do it? I was trying to figure that out the other day. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and 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 it, there's hundreds of en of search engines then you can launch off from with them that will you know so if you just put a huh. an exclamation point at the end of your search okay. string and uh, you know like G is for Google YT is for YouTube you know okay um, but not yeah, not so. for the '80s metal band Y and T. <laughs> so I didn't, I, that was a far reach i know but yeah <laughs> no you know sort of in a wheelhouse all I, right. uh, I, I had my formative years back then <laughs> we all had our metal years uh, well, yes i mean boy you know young boys need their need their metal and their wrestling right they so, do uh, they, well they need iron in general um yeah thank yeah. you but um poof. more of a new wave kid you know with the cure kiss me kiss me kiss me was my oh, yeah. first concert actually so that's um that i paid for the dearly uh -huh. with my money we scalped tickets outside madison square garden we, my friend bob and i and it was uh they were 35 dollars a piece and we thought we had just spent our you know basically it spent our entire earnings you know for caddying for the whole weekend so it was just like hmm. uh um but it was glorious i you know i wouldn't have traded that yeah i want to say the first one that i paid for was pop will eat itself Nice. Yeah. 
I, I right. was trying to think of when you said the first one you paid for, I was like, oh, because my very first concert was Kiss. Um, nice. Yeah, when nice. I was, but my mom took me to that. I was in like third grade or something like that. <laughs> did she put the makeup on? Did no, she the, didn't. She didn't. She was, uh, that was. wear platform boots? <laughs> maybe. She's short. <laughs> um, I wore eyeliner to the Cure concert. So, you know. There you go. Nice. Well, you had to because you paid for it. You had to represent. <laughs> But okay, so you were talking before about uh, about the the play in words and and how sometimes you know misinterpretation or not misinterpretation misrepresentation blah you know like we talked a lot about words so why did you go from the reflectors then to Westy reflector why why did you then you started out not doing the name and I was assuming that that was a band and you said no it was just me so why didn't you always just go by your name. Prior to the reflectors, I, I took a, a a break. My guitar was in a in a closet for a while, and yeah. um, I, I didn't get necessarily disillusioned, but I think you know, I took some strange advice, and I ended up, uh, you know, it was the late '90s, and you know everything was happening, CompuServe and all the AOL. You know, you get the disc in the mail, and it was like, oh, this must this is crazy. Something's going to happen with this. But yeah. you know, a bunch of us like we're sort of seeing that maybe all this technology is going to uh, you know, maybe create this entirely new creative paradigm and this entire new economy organized around creativity. So mm-hmm. let's, you know, and and I'd always had curiosity for, you know, maybe s- taking myself in different directions. And so I always like to challenge myself. And sometimes I always wind up in counterintuitive places. Uh, so I ended up in business school in the late 90s. I actually have an MBA. Mm. And... Um, because I had designs on, you know, kind of coming out and, and starting a media entity that, you know, would, would be based on all this new technology. And yeah. there was a certain... And then you found out that was a waste of time and nobody's ever going to do that. <laughs> well, I got, I got hired by a billion dollar advertising conglomerate when I got out of school. And oh. I was, you can make your job up. So I made up a job as I, I said, all right, well, I'm going to call myself a futurist. That's what I want on my business card. Oh, my card. God. <laughs> and I want to be a copywriter on the floor of one of your ad agencies. And I'm going to have this schizophrenic, you know, I'll have the double agent existence. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, where I will attempt to reinvent the business of your agency. And so give me a direct line of the board, but I'm also going to write ads <laughs> and mm-hmm. see what I can on the ground level, so partner me with an art director, and uh, and let's see where we go. So I actually did that. I was at Ogilvy and Mather for for five years, and um, you know, ended up uh, you know with this, you know, uh, yeah, again another left turn experience that gave me a totally different perspective on on the world and 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 commercial creativity. Uh, you know, I'd never worked in advertising. It actually, in the back of my mind, was someplace I had vowed I'd never go. <laughs> yeah, but you were but telling yourself it was internet-based, so. Well, I think there was a moment, like, back at the turn of the millennium when, you know, you really believed you could live in the future. <laughs> okay. You know, that, that moment's passed. I don't know how easy it is to live in the future now, but everybody back then was kind of living in the future. Even Y2K was like, all right, bring it on. We're still going to be in the future, man. You know, and so it's like... Um, so and, what did this have to do with you being called the Reflectors? <laughs> I just oh, realized, I'm like, where are we going with this? <laughs> so I, I, but I, I had not written a song. It, I, I realized I sort of woke up 
five, six years later and, you know, realize like it, it just wasn't the right place and it wasn't the right time. But, you know, I, I don't regret anything. It just was. And I, I just started writing songs all of a sudden. It just, it was hmm. weird. It was blood, the spigot just went on. Okay. But we were at a moment then when all of a sudden all this technology was, um, you know, creating a, you know, a more egalitarian uh, production environment for, you know, people to sort of start to develop ideas. You have something in your head, all of a sudden it can be, you know, on a hard disk and, you know, and you can have a tiny studio in your, in your one, in your studio apartment, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so I, I cobbled together, um, a bunch of songs and I was looking for, you know, just something to call myself and that name just, just stuck. And so I, Westy Reflector actually came up at that moment. I came up with a whole band. It was, I was Westy Reflector. Yeah. Basis was X Reflector. Oh wait, <laughs> with Mick Reflector, and you know, um, you gave yourself a different name for each member of the band. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely. actually kind of brilliant. I, I, I got to give you credit for that one. <laughs> well, I, I guess a little gorillas esque. I kind of borrowed it, you know, that, yeah. that concept. I guess from Damon Alborn, you know. So it was just because um, I think he did a similar thing with that. And Carl Wallinger, one of my demigods from World Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, World Party was basically him for most of his records, just playing every instrument. Yeah. Um, he didn't call himself a different name for everyone. I just figured, you know, it would be cool to, like, have this ruse. Yeah. And to see, like, if I could... So part of it was a bit of a, you know, sort of an in-joke. Like, if you're in on it and you sort of knew it was just me, it, it didn't take away from it necessarily. But if you didn't know and you were like, man, that, that, that drummer is great, you know, I could just laugh my ass off in a way because I was like, yeah, it's uh It had me going. Me isn't even me playing. I mean, basically at that point, I also, in a way, reinvented myself as, a, as almost an electronic musician because so many of those parts, I was just the whole... You're just uh, using Cakewalk or something like that? Uh, acid, sound for Oh, you were yeah. using... Okay, yeah. And then that became Acid, you know, mm-hmm. and... Uh, so that was my environment for a long time. You're welcome, by the way. That was born and raised here in Madison, Wisconsin. Yes. You know what? So many good things come from out there. I mean, <laughs> so many good things. Yours Which truly. Comes there, you know. It's yeah, like, and then they all move away because the weather sucks here. Yeah, um, that's true. Westburg <laughs> from Minneapolis, you know, Prince, I mean, all, all that stuff. Actually, I, yeah, those two kind of stayed, didn't they? Yeah, actually, they they still harbored a lot of affection for their for their home. Um, and I mean, I, I I don't know. It's I, I've never had that flyover thing. You know, for me, I always dug the the differences. You know, more than I always thought that it was actually fascinating to me. And and you know. I'll tell you what, it's because there's not as much competition in this region. Uh, and then when you do get it, you get a very, well, I'm saying, I'm saying it based on the people that I've seen come from here. Uh, right. you, you get a loyal following. Um, and I think that has a lot to yeah. do with it, especially if you stay true to the area that you're in, in the Midwest, like even in Chicago, like Chicago, people are very loyal to people from Chicago. If you move away and go do something, it can kind of wane. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, Kat, you know, is a, is a Cubs fan and, uh, she's from Chicago. 
She yeah. grew up in, in, in Hyde Park on the south side. Exactly. It, it, yeah, it's the same sort of thing. Whenever we go hiking out here and invariably on the trail, everyone's like, go Cubs, go Cubs. So it's, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, no, it's, it's a bonding thing. Um, yeah. but it's also, you know, it's a special place. I've, I've, I've eaten at a steak and shake in Peoria. I've seen the festival of lights. Those are know. a little bit farther down, but yes, we have a weird yes. border thing. Like there's like, we don't even have, you guys had, or not you guys, uh, the Chicago people, they had Shoney's and we have Perkins. So it like there's a there's a period where it's the exact same damn place, but all of a sudden the name changes. It's the strangest thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's you have that in New York and L.A. In New York, you have Hellman's mayonnaise out here. It's like best food. I don't know. <laughs> so and you don't know that it's the same one. You're like, no, no, no. It's the same man. Yeah, it's the same thing. Um, but I suppose out there you have Miracle Whip. So you know, true. You don't find too much. In That's right. We just slather that on some white bread. Um, but, uh, so with all this, okay, so you do business and all this type, type of stuff. What, why did you become a creative commons musician? Well, so yeah, I kicked around as a reflectors for a while and I had a lot of fun doing it, but I was only this one person. I couldn't tour. I couldn't do anything with it. And back then, it, you know, the, the distribution stuff was just really nascent online i mean i was burning cds in my in my bedroom you know in my, my in my living room you know studio well it was a studio the whole thing was a bedroom living room kitchen i lived in a studio with cat for a long time yeah but um you know so we're burning cds sending them out and you know the creative commons didn't come into my consciousness for a while i i i released like four or five records as reflectors and and actually got some some really cool feedback and and you know some good direction and it, locally in in New York for the most part because that was you know I was handing CDs out and you know trying to play shows just with my guitar but I couldn't replicate with the band you know sort of like you had to hear the band in my head you know when I was playing mm-hmm. um, which is cool you know I still do that show I, before I came out here I, you know I had a nice show out in Brooklyn where I did a solo thing with a guitar and uh, it just after a while I had this moment of clarity where I was just like this is not a band this is yeah and stopped you know and and because there was one moment on one of these records where like I was like writing the liner notes and I was all of a sudden like doing the thank yous and I was <laughs> I was doing them all of a sudden I was writing thank yous from every one of the, the, the band members. Oh, but goodness. they're all me, right? So like I'm making up people for each of these and it's it wildly creative, but in my head I'm just like, you know what, this is tiresome. This is all me. Let's just let's just go solo. Yeah. But, you know, like all these you know, the lead singer of these bands always goes solo at one point, so mm-hmm. why not? So then I uh, you know, just sort of transformed as subtly all of a sudden one record was uh yeah goodbye monday blue was the reflectors and then hello sayulita was westy reflector so um th- those things sort of came within a couple of you know um, within a year of each other yeah and uh and i just sort of took it from i was like oh, i'm just gonna be solo um in any event uh we're getting the creative commons the still didn't have you know I still wasn't really happy with the, you know, with distribution or with any sort of, you know, just getting stuff out there. It was just like, and, and I also wanted more control 
over things. And, mm-hmm. and Creative Commons sort of fell from the sky at one point. All of a sudden, a couple records in, I started getting involved with um, a, a, a collective, an artist collective around, uh, a global artist collective called This Quiet Junto. Oh, okay. Uh, run by Mark Wiedenbaum out of uh, San Francisco. Uh, he runs a, a wonderful uh, site called uh, disquiet.com and he talks about the intersection of of technology and music and art and you know he's really into fluxus and I'd followed him forever uh, way back when even when I was a futurist I sort of picked up on his vibe he was one of the first people he was he was an editor at Pulse uh, whatever um, Tower Records magazine was and um, he started a blog and and you know I, I picked up on him pretty early on a few years after he started blogging and he was always writing about interesting stuff. And so I just was following. It was lurking on him for a long time. And all of a sudden, he put a prompt out, uh, you know, flash forward like 10 years. Mm-hmm. About 2012, he put this prompt out and was like, well, you know, if anybody follows me, you know, I want to start putting out uh, creative prompts every week. You know, I believe in constraints and I, and I think they're healthy. And, and, you know, would anybody out there be willing to participate? And, uh, you know, a whole bunch of us were like yeah bring it on you know and then so he started every thursday just sending out prompts hmm. and so the condition for and and you would get an, you would get a a prompt you get a creative a you know challenge on thursday and it would wh- wherever you were monday at midnight you would put it up so it wasn't about completing a work it wasn't about it was about the process and sort of this whole really cool upstream adventure and again, I'd always had one toe in sort of a real eclectic electronica. I've always, my, my music's always been not so eclectic, but I've tried to bring a whole bunch of eclecticism to it. I mean, my guitar teacher when I was growing up was an acid jazz fusion player in uh, New Jersey. And yeah, I still have his records. I mean, he didn't you know make a huge national footprint, but he was amazing. And so he spoke to me off into all this music, John McLaughlin, King Crimson, you know, Al Demiola, like all these people. And so, you know, that I really had no business knowing when I was 14 or 15 years old, but they all, and Michael Hedges, I mean, please. So it was just like, you know, all those things, um, you know, I've always carried those with me. So musically, you know, I've always tried, for me, it's always words first. But then I try to color them in different ways. And, you know, I, I, I don't have the virtuosity, you know, that my teacher had. But I have a book where I, you know, unfortunately he passed away a few years ago. But I still have his book, you know, where he wrote out hit tabs of all of his riffs and, uh, you know, and these things that he thought I, I would learn and could apply to the music I was writing. And so, um, you know, I, I those find their way into my work, you know, probably at about a tenth the speed that he would be playing them. But, you know, the the concept you know, is still there. So I've always had this fascination and that developed into a fascination with a lot of electronic music and, and just the, and then a realization, um, you know, with the Junto all the sudden. So I, I, I was paying attention to all these different other, these different worlds. And I was like, well, I should just, you know, take, I should try this and try you know, releasing it to people or tried to like you know i'd get these prompts the first three or four prompts i was like you know i was like well you know can i do this and you know because was he releasing them under creative commons or it was just they were just prompts at this time this is where yeah this is where the creative commons comes in okay (laughs) um 
Yeah, my analyst will laugh at this uh, this interview. Uh, the uh, <laughs> like I told you, man, told you, yes. So um, the uh, yeah, it the you the stipulation was you had to release if you if you participated in the group, what you put up, and it was a group on SoundCloud um, when the groups there were still really. Oh yeah, the, I, I miss the groups. And it was all yeah, because it was really a. Uh, because you could do that. You could do exactly what you see. That's what I was trying to figure out. I'm like, like, how did this become Creative Commons? Like, I didn't understand where his stuff was. was you're saying that it was a prompt for SoundCloud. Yeah. Okay. It was perfect, um, you know, moment for it to happen. And it was the perfect use for it. At mm. that point. So the, you know, one of the quote unquote constraints, you know, wasn't just in the, the constraint that he would send you. you. You you have to release what you're doing as Creative Commons. Because the point is you you that it was a collective and a community and the work that we were doing would hopefully find new life and, you know, was, was a living object, you know, it was a very much a sort of an adventure in fluxus in that sense, like that there huh. was, you know, nothing was, was fixed, you know, and, and, and that, but that we also had as artists participating in this, a complete control over, um, you know, what we were doing. So hmm. it was, um, the Junto, you know, everything there is on creative commons. And, and before then I really had no, I had no idea what was going on in that world. Um, you know, everything I'd released was all rights reserved. Um, you know, I just had no sense that there was any space where, you know, artists could actually have some sort of control and that there was a, a community out there that mm -hmm. was not only, um, you know, s supportive and, you know, but that it actually sort of thrived on, on the ability to, to be able to have fair use, you know, and, and, and these con these concepts were, you know, were, were out there, but I didn't really have a granular, um, notion of it at all because they, uh, you know, I hadn't applied it to my own work. Well, so all of a sudden, you know, these, so the fourth, you know, prompt came in and I was like, all right, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. And I do it in and, you know, and it was, it became something that actually was really a watershed in, in my work. I, I, it, it took me in so many different directions. It introduced me to so many techniques and it introduced me to the creative commons world, which, um, you know, and, and, and that touches not only music, but it's all about technology and about law and about, you know, the concept of, of intellectual property and ownership and yeah. you know, so many huge questions, you know, intersect in, in the creative commons world. And, you know, that it, it it's something that, you know, it, it's, it, it's, I don't know how it's going to shake out because it's, it's a real battle and, you know, there's, there's a real resistance to it. Um, on both ends, you know, a lot of artists are afraid of it. They think they're not going to make money, but that's not true because I found artists that, think they're know. not going to make money to begin with anyway. Like any yeah, way exactly. of putting out music, you're not going to make money anymore. So the argument's stupid these days. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. it, it, well, oh, sure. And I mean, it's given me an insane amount of exposure um, because through it, I met a whole bunch of really cool people. One of my a really good friend now, Lee Rosevere, runs uh, Happy Puppy. Oh yeah. In in Canada, he works for the CBC. Um, you know, he and I, he got me, um, curated on the, on the free music archive. Yeah. So, you know, as soon as I got up on there, all of my old music 
all of a sudden, you know, I started putting it up and it just had this whole new life. And, you know, people on YouTube were, were using it in their, uh, you know, in their videos. My music was all of a sudden going around the world in a way that I couldn't bring it. You know, I couldn't even tour that much to bring the music to where all of a sudden it was happening, you know, online. So it was just right. this amazing moment and through it, like, I, you know, and it's, yeah. And again, like you said, like, it's not like you're going to get rich. No. Um, you know, like that's, that's, that's a lightning strike, you know, that's a lottery, that's a lottery number. Um, it always has been, you know, but in almost anything you do, there's no, there's no sure bets in life with anything. You just have to follow, you know, what you love and your passion. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's not, it's not really about how the world, you know, receives it, quote unquote, it's about how you send it. So mm-hmm. it's just, in, you know, for me, this was a, a perfect way of sending my music and my my stories and my work out in the world and and disquiet the junto you know gave me the opportunity to sort of explore this completely experimental side that i'd always had it was always nascent in me but like all these crazy techniques and you know sort of looking at i and the most important thing that did for me was recognize that helped me recognize that i wasn't i was writing a song and i was making music but i was also creating sound mm-hmm. there's really a certain um, liberation and a, and also a responsibility in that to know that it's not, it's not a frivolous thing. Sound is a, you know, you can't turn your ears off and you're creating something that, that is physical that, you know, we can ride, we could surf, we can ride waves, but the only waves that we can create are sound waves. So, you know, it's, and, and that was the sort of cognitive, that was the huge realization for me participating in in the junto and I was like, wow, I'm, I'm actually making sound and I can play hmm. with sound. not just like notes or words. It's actually, I'm playing with sound and, you know, and, and I, you know, there's something about creative commons. I mean, maybe there's something about how I feel like a lot of people that a lot of musicians that take a lot of risks are attracted to it and not just because it just seems like an outlier way to, to release music or to produce it. But I think it's, there's a certain the 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 camaraderie you find there and and the techniques and the way and in the sense that you know you release it so it can be remixed in a way we're in a remix culture so why should anybody be penalized for taking something and 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 you know running it through a blender and coming up with something that in your own head you would never have come I'm, I've been so fortunate to have some people remix some of my songs into you know, uh, versions that they, they are just so revelatory in a way because they'll find a sound or they'll find a space inside of a song, you know, that I never even knew existed. It wasn't even my intention. And, and it was perfect, you know, and I was like, wow, well, maybe that really was the intent. Like, and you know, if it wasn't for Creative Commons, like that, that just wouldn't have happened. Those sort of interactions and my connection to, um, you know, so many people around the world who, who, uh, you know, both produce music and, and enjoy it, you know, would never happen. So it's, it's been a watershed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And well, one of the songs that we're going to play on the show today, so people can check it out is, um, uh, last call home. And I wanted to choose this one because it's one of the ones the people can, well, I mean, technically you just said you can go to free music archive and I'm sure all your stuff is there for free, but on your Bandcamp page, 
Um, yeah. So they have the option to give you some money because we just spoke about how artists don't okay. make so much, no money. Um, right. Good grammar right there. Uh, the <laughs> the song uh, Last Call Home you have actually is a free download. So um, I wanted to play yeah. that for everybody. Uh, what is, uh, tell us a little bit about the song we're going to hear. Last Call Home. Yeah, that's, it's cool. I was wondering, you know, it, you always wonder which which one with these uh, interviews they're going to play. <laughs> um, not with me, because I've never done it with you before. But when I, just, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Like the artists, you can always tell they're waiting. Like, oh, which which one? Um, yeah, this is a this is a real. Um, it it it's one of those songs. I I I sort of thrive in a sunny darkness, <laughs> you know, in a way. <laughs> that was and very very this poignant. Song be, this song could be. This, this song was a little heavy. Yeah, it was about the Pulse. It was written the, the night after the Pulse shooting in Orlando. Um, and yeah, I had just had this vision of what it would be like to have to make your last call home in a in a uh, in a circumstance like that. And what the, oh. um, you know, what would you say? What what is there left to say at that point? You know, um, I'm not necessarily talking to anybody in particular. I'm sort of leaving it up to the listener to determine who they would call and 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 what the context would be. Um, but it's uh, you know, there's sort of this commonality of fear that you know is now in our sort of working through everything now and and you know, for better or worse, uh, you know, you sort of have to work through a lot of fear in order now to to find love and you know I wanted to to write something that that sort of released people from some fear hmm. um, face of something that was really tragic so it's a special song for sure it's why it leads off this record and um it's uh and again like as I said like you know I sort of you know my my stock and trade is a sunny darkness right um, and this this song is not you know, it doesn't sound particularly dark, and hopefully, when you reminisce on it, it doesn't make you too sad. Hmm. Um, but that it actually gives you a certain amount of empowerment. That you know, if you live your life through love, that even if you're faced with, you know, a, a random, you know, terrible end, that you know, the way you've lived your life is your legacy. So it's, uh, you know, so that's where that's where that song was born and it's as i said it's a special song for me for mm. sure it's it's actually a hard one for me to play um i don't play it very often when when i perform but um it's uh it, i i do love that song so as i said that's why it leads off the record and sort of gives a a mood to the record in a way is uh, this latest one it was released last year i just put it up on the fma um I was a little uh, remiss in, in sort of getting it up there right away, but um, it's uh, and it does have a few tracks from the Junto and sort of has this. It's a song cycle. There's a commonality through it. I mean, it it definitely has um, you know a lot to say about sort of where we are and and what you know where we could be. Um, but it tries to have some optimism with it too. So, you know, but the okay. whole thing, I sort of summed it up as like a, 
a soundtrack for you know the reset of the simulation so i don't want to you know, again go too far out into space with the right. simulation theory and you know maybe we live in a hologram and you know but stephen hawking nine out of ten stephen hawking's agree so <laughs> that, that maybe we live in a simulation so the tenth one lives in another universe apparently so we're uh, you know this uh and you know, there's a moment where um you know that that can also be a sort of an uplifting thing it doesn't necessarily mean that we're predestined or that there's no uh free will you know but that um you know that we do have the opportunity to figure out if it's simulating something there's so much that's beautiful it's simulating something beautiful so why wouldn't we strive to just simulate the beautiful things you know so yeah um and so yeah so without belaboring too much of it that's that's where that that's the sort of the mental philosophical space where that where the record lives and the song is sort of the perfect um launching point for it for sure okay all right i want to thank you very much for coming on the show today it was actually actually i did this last week too i said actually really great to talk to you and that's like (laughs) i just wanted to say it was great talking to you (laughs) i don't know why i started doing that Actually, it's fine. It's some, some, it's some, I expected some, you to be some horrible. Conversational filler needs to die. Oh my goodness, like, I like, know. Like, you know what I think? It's like, actually, I don't. I'm not in your head. <laughs> well, and then first is like, you want to know what I think? I was like, well, I wouldn't be having a conversation with you if I did. So it would just be telepathic. Yes, but it was great talking to you. Thank you for com- very much for coming on the show. Absolutely, it was wonderful, and love your guys' work. And this is a, a real you. honor, which for sure. Thanks, and uh, this has been another Music Manument podcast at musicmanument.com. Oh, 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 oh,